Hello and welcome to More Games Than Time. I'm Lee. I'm Roger. And as usual, we have more games than time. Uh, we also have more games than interviewees, but uh, <laughs> such is life. <laughs> In this episode, we uh, we talk about games that we've been playing recently. We have one exchanged game um, and no discussion, which we'll, uh, we'll be returning in hopefully next month for the good one. <laughs> Roger, I've returned to the universe. Aha. You may remember several episodes ago, I think it was, we covered, I don't know if it was the same episode or separate episodes, we covered Castellion and Sylveon. Mm. Mm. And I know since then, um, Shaddy's managed to get the publishing rights back and started releasing the games himself rather than going through ex- uh, third parties. He has, he has. Um, I've been playing Sylveon, so this is our first recap in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for the recap is that when we covered it originally, I mentioned that alone of all the Universe games, there was an expansion which was released as a promo. <laughs> all, all of the Universe games have these sort of um, interchangeable micro expansions contained in the box that you can mix and match and you know, mix up the game in some way. Yeah, the, the one I've played most of is Onirim, where you've got yeah, 128 variants by adding and removing different expansions. Mixing and matching the, the seven expansions, I think it is for yeah. Universe, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, so Sylveon comes with, I think, three or four expansions in the box. Um, in, that is if you count the, uh, the, the pawn as an expansion. <laughs> um, otherwise there's two card expansions in the, in the game. There is a third that is available as, as I say, it was released as a promo. I have no idea why they did it in that way. Um, and one of the comments I meant at the time we discussed the game last time was that I wasn't sure if that promo would give the game greater legs, more longevity. Sure. Since that episode, I actually got rid of Sylveon because I thought that I'd experienced all that it had to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody very kindly sent me the, the promo. <laughs> so I reacquired Sylveon. <laughs> Uh, that's probably a future segment. <laughs> um, and I've been playing it with that with that promo expansion mixed in. It doesn't change things substantially. Okay. Um, to recap, those that perhaps haven't listened to the, the episode we discussed previously, Sylvian, or, or you know those that did and have forgotten, um, this is basically a tower defense game. This is the fire one rather than the castle one. Exactly, yeah. So you're defending the forest from um, a rampaging wildfire. Um, you're defending it with common woodland creatures such as elephants and whales. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I think lent the name of it, lent its name to our last episode featuring Sylvia. Yeah. Um, and the basic idea is that on every turn you will reveal four um, four fire cards, which may or may not be actual fires they might be manipulating the game in some other ways but they're you know bad cards yeah um depending on the level of play you're going to have four piles of 16 or 20 of those cards so that's how many rounds you're going to play through effectively Mm -hmm. and those cards will then march four spaces to the left if they make it all the way over they will burn some trees right and that's your limited resource that you lose when you run out of yeah, the game will end either if you run out, all your trees are burnt, or if you can no longer reveal more of those fire cards. Yeah. Um, so you're trying to get remove the fire before it hits that um, boundary, or block it in some way, or otherwise manipulate the the fire decks to sort of speed up the timer effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing you can do is flip some of the burnt trees back to living trees if you have one card that interacts with them that way. Sure. Final thing you're doing is planting trees, but they're obviously very vulnerable to fire. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you do manage to plant enough that um, your score outweighs the the flipped ones at the end, then you can win that way, even if some of your original trees have died. Right. Okay, and that's from a, a hand management. You're drawing three cards each turn. So I, I suspect, yeah, that just. Thinking of games in this general style that I've played, I think the thing that would often frustrate me would be 
I've, I've got these things I want to do, but I've got those cards which are great for the things that I don't want to do right now. And the other, the other part of that is to say you're only drawing three cards each turn. Mm-hmm. To play a card, you have to pay for it. And you pay for it by discarding other cards in your hand. Right, so you may well only do one or two things at most. Or sometimes nothing, if you can't, if you can't, if a, it's, it's not a simple system of discard one to play one. Mm-hmm. Each card has a cost attached to it. So some cards might right. require three cards to discard. Right. So there's a, a, a real um, tightness in your, what, what you can actually do turn to turn. Um, I must admit, I've often found my, the best way I've found to play is to completely ignore planting trees and fountains and everything else and literally just concentrate on manipulating the deck. Mm-hmm. What this third expansion promo does it fills the the four by four columns the trees are marching across so you've got a, a four by four grid there of cards yeah it fills those spaces with 16 face down cards to start the turn, start the game right the expansion is called sylveon below ground mm-hmm. and that is what these cards represent when you want to, you you basically ignore those cards when the fire is marching across because they're below ground. Sure. When you want to play a card into those spaces, you flip over the, those below ground cards to reveal what they are. Mm-hmm. The majority of them are just bare ground. There's nothing there. In which case, carry on as normal. Yeah. If you reveal, I think it's an owl, obviously some kind of burrowing owl. They do exist. They do. Then you immediately get to draw cards. Mm-hmm. So that's a help to you. If you reveal the swallower. <laughs> you just tell from the name, it's not going to be good. <laughs> no, it is. <laughs> but it's a very universe name as well. And it actually does exactly what it says. The card you are going to lay into that space is swallowed. It disappears from the game. Mm-hmm. There's no further penalty to space. The Swallower itself then disappears from the game, so it's not going to be an ongoing problem in that space. So effectively you've got a blank space after that that you can play into normally. Yeah, exactly. So it adds another wrinkle. It doesn't really change the game substantially. Mm. So sort of, would would you say overall probably about a neutral effect? It doesn't make it easier or harder or Um, just extra? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's... it's just another thing to remember, mm-hmm. I think. You know, it's, once you, you know, it's, it's repetitions, isn't it? And the, the more the more games you play, the more you're familiar with. Oh, I do this, then this, then this, then this. And it, for me, I haven't played it for over a year, but for me, returning to it now, it was just the extra mind space of trying to remember. Oh, I'm going to play a card into that. Oh, I need to flip that one over first. Mm. And sometimes I would sort of a couple of turns later go, hang on. There's a card there. Did I? Fl- I didn't flip. What's underneath it? <laughs> Luckily, as I right. say, the majority of them are empty space anyway. So it it adds another thing to remember to the game, but it doesn't make it more difficult. If that makes mm. sense. Um, yeah, I, I I still don't know why Zedman decided to release it as a as a promo. I hope and suspect that you mentioned earlier, um, Shadi Torby reacquired the. The publishing rights from Zedman to all the Oniverse games. He's now effectively self-publishing them. Mm. I hope that when he republishes Sylveon, this is included as standard. I, ca- I can't see any reason for it not to be. Makes sense. I mean, presumably it would raise the cost a bit, but if it's going to be re-released at all, then it might as well be in there. It's it's 16 cards. Yeah. It's it's not raising the cost substantially at all. Um, and I don't... I, I like Sylveon. I think it's... As a game in itself, I think it's probably my favourite Oniverse game. Mm-hmm. But I do think that more than any of the others, it does suffer from a sort of a, a solvability problem. Mm. Um, there's a sort of a, a finite amount of time that you can spend with the game before you have explored everything it has to offer. And in any situation, you can work out what the best thing to do is. Yeah. So this sort of extra micro-expansion, it adds another wrinkle. It doesn't change that core thing of... I know how to how to win it this game. Hmm. So uh, yeah, that's um, that's Sylveon by Shadi Torby. Uh, at uh, Takini Leacon, I got to play Turncoats, which this this is a social deduction game. 
No, uh, in oh, spite okay. of, well, uh, slightly <laughs> vaguely. Um, it's designed by Matilda Simonsson, uh, right. a Swedish designer who describes herself as a fan of Cole Worley. Right. So if, if you think of it as sort of oathy, rooty in miniature, that might not be a terrible place to start. Uh, you have three factions, red, blue and black. Mm-hmm. Right. You have a quite small map. It's about maybe 10 hexes with, with, a, with mm-hmm. a hex in the middle you can't move on to just to make it a bit more interesting. And like the king is dead, uh, you, you do not control any of these factions directly. You do right. not have a okay. faction assigned to you. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the game, the person in control of the faction that has won will win. Yeah. So, okay. and th- th- this is a um, balancing mechanism. You, you start with some stones in your hand. I think it's eight or ten. It may vary, vary with the number of players. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that's a random thing to start with. Uh, most of the things you do will cost you a stone. Uh, you can recruit. So you put one of the stones from your hand onto the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can move, so you put one of the stones into the uh, move hex yep. over to the side of the board, and then you can move one hex's worth of stones of that colour from one to an adjacent on the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can fight, which is you, you are some stones of that colour are sharing with another faction. Uh, each of them kills one of the other faction, mm-hmm. I think, or maybe you kill everything. I don't remember. I think it's each stone kills one, but anyway. Um, each of these costs you a stone. The last one, you, you put it into the um, battle stack. Yep. Uh, and the other thing you can do is negotiate, which is you draw a stone from the bag and then you put either it or a different one from your hand back into the bag. Right. And when all the players have negotiated in a row, that ends the game. So the immediate trade-off is... You you need to place red stones to make red win, for example. Mm-hmm. But you also need to have red stones in your hand to be in com- control of red at the end, because it's yeah. the one with the most stones of that colour yeah. who who controls the faction. Um, so the obvious you know, first game tactic seems to be, OK, I've, I've got lots of red and a bit of blue. I will use my blue stones to make to cause blue to make red be in a better position by attacking yeah. black, for example. Uh, and it, 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 the, the overall winner is, um, major, majority in the most territories. Right. I mean, the core mechanism though, I think, is something I'm most familiar with from sort of small card games, hmm. where you're trying to play a certain suit or colour out to, to score, but at the end of the game, you only score it if you have the, the highest value or the majority of that in your own hand. Yeah, it makes sense. It's not, that particular thing is not something I've met before, though, uh, I have played a few of the, um, we don't, you don't know which faction anybody else mm. is going for. The thing, it, it's good fun. It's quite a short game. It's quite, quite a simple game. It's very quick to learn. Mm. Uh, when it, it's also beautifully made, uh, she, she, um, hand makes these, I think with a reasonably sophisticated sewing machine, but, but there's a lot of hand work involved. Um, right. the, the board is cloth with embroidered, uh, hexes mm. on it, that kind of thing. Right. This also makes it quite expensive, but it is a lovely thing, so fair enough. Um, mm. The problem, insofar as I've met one, is it's a small map, there aren't a lot of stones on it, and the tiebreakers start to become very important. There are tiebreakers both for the winning faction. Mm. Um, you've got... Uh, if the number of territories controlled is equal, then it's the most on, I think it's the battle hex, and if it's the battle hex is equal, then it's a number on the move hex, so I may have that the other way around. Right. Um, and I've, I've played twice in person and once in the uh, BGA Alpha, mm-hmm. and each time that uh, at least one of those tiebreakers has mattered. And the other thing is that, that you, you get tiebreakers for um, the winning control of the faction, if I and somebody else have the same number of winning faction stones, then it's whichever of us has fewer of the faction that did worst yeah. will win. And basically, because the numbers are small, you know, so you, you can control with three or four stones, the tiebreakers are often in, and I find that a bit unsatisfying compared with, well, yeah, we've just got a majority. Um, 
it's certainly a thing you need to keep in mind while the game is going on because mm. it, it's not just a matter of my faction's going to be in, in control. It's I need to set up the tiebreakers as well. Yeah, which does make it a more sophisticated game. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I'm curious. We've sort of skirted around this before, I think. But would you prefer to have tiebreakers or just call it a tie? Hmm. In this game, you would get a tie, at least in my experience so far, which may not be typical, mm. but I'm feeling you would get a tie so much of the time that it would start to feel a bit futile. Right. Which would be a message in itself, of course, but uh, yeah. I don't think it would make for a satisfying game. I mean, if it were bigger, then the ties wouldn't happen as often, but on the other hand, it's relatively simple mechanics, so making it bigger and longer would probably make it less fun. Yeah. It's not a crippling problem, it's just this little niggle to what would otherwise for me be a game that I would be saying, yes, I want this right now. Right. The the other thing that occur, occurred to us um, playing it is, this. So, say you've got three, three gamers on, on a beach holiday or something like that, this would be very easy to uh, set up in the sand, you know, draw a hex grid. I, I assume any of our listeners can draw a hex grid in the sand freehand. Um, yeah. You know, collect... I don't know, stones and shells and something else. Mm. Uh, that, I, th- I think that would be great fun in itself. It very, very much, um, it's, it's not about the, the bits are pretty, particularly the cloth bits. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but uh, it, it's not about that. It, 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 obviously it's a very abstract game as well. Mm. Um, oh yeah, two to five players, uh, best with four, uh, really not so lowable because you've got all that. Yeah. It, it is about, Outthinking your opponent, yeah, and I don't think you could build an uh, an automated thing without the player having to have knowledge of what the automated thing was trying to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There, there are some brilliant people out there, so maybe you can, but it, I, I certainly can't see a way to do it. Well, that's yeah, that's fair enough, isn't it? Not all games can be soloed. Uh, so this is a 2021 release. Uh, I think it's only available in quite small numbers because of the whole hand-making thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's got a bit more popular recently. I think Shut Up and Sit Down did a review on it, and there's uh, just been generally a bit more talk about it. So right. definitely worth a look. I mean, it's like War of Whispers in miniature. Um it does not have the problem that War of Whispers had, which is that it's quite easy to find everybody aligning themselves with the same factions, because you can change, to some extent, in mid-game which factions you're supporting. Yeah. Um, so, somebody's got a mod for that, which is basically make sure that at the start of the game everybody is supporting a different faction, and that, that top one cannot be changed. Which I think would improve War of Whispers. Uh, right. I'll try that next time I play it. But yeah, this, this doesn't have that. If it weren't for the tie breaks, it would be great. As it is, it's it's still good fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's Turncoats by Matilda Simonson, published in 2021. Okay. So elsewhere in the universe, <laughs> I've been playing Stellarion, the latest release. Mm-hmm. Which came out at the the back end of last year, I think, at least in December in, the, in this country at least. Yeah. Um. This might be your only verse game, Roger. <laughs> the only one I have owned was Onirim, which I enjoyed, but it didn't for me. Didn't have the staying power. Yeah, I think all of them, to a certain extent, um, have the same. The problem I mentioned with Sylveon earlier that you know that there's to an extent there's a sort of a solvable puzzle nature to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Castellion has that least of those that I've played, um, but then for for exactly that reason, Castellion frustrates a lot of people because it can be quite random in nature. Mm. So there's a trade-off there. I mean, I think give, given the basic setup of you are doing stuff and then the system is doing stuff against you in a somewhat randomised way. I'm, I'm not sure there is a perfectable solution there. I, either it's low randomness and you can plan yeah. stuff, or it's high randomness and it'll screw you over. So, yeah, well, exactly, and and that to the nature, to a certain extent, that's the nature of um, solitaire games, and to a lesser extent, co-op games. Yeah. Um, and as far as solitaire games goes, this reminds me very much 
of a particular classic solitaire card game, the name of which completely escapes me. Mm-hmm. But as I describe it, you might be able to suggest it, and I'll go, oh, yeah, 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 that's the one. Hey. We'll see. Um, so Stellarion is space-themed. Mm-hmm. You are um, trying to, to put together missions to or voyages, I think they call them, to certain um, stars, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it says this very explicitly in the rulebook, and I've forgotten, because, <laughs> you know, space. Um, the way the game works, it's described as a deck management game. These are tiny decks. There are eight decks in front of you, mm-hmm. each of which consists of eight cards. Okay, so that's just about shuffleable. Yeah. In the in the the game, there are eight symbols that you're trying to to match up. Four of these relate to the galaxies that you're trying to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, and four of them are the equipment you need to get to the galaxies in some way, shape, or form. Um, there's your ship, and then the other three symbols are a nebula, stars, and planets, which I always think are suns because they're round and big. <laughs> So what you're doing is you're looking at the the top card of these um, of the, these eight decks, mm. and you're trying to make combinations of these eight symbols. Yeah. Each card has two symbols on it. One of the symbols is one of the four galaxies, and the other one is one of the four things you need to get there. Yeah. So on your turn, you can either discard a planet, a star, a nebula, and a ship of a matching galaxy to go and explore that galaxy. Right. You need to go to each galaxy twice during a game to win. Mm-hmm. Or you can discard into their own discard piles because these are eight different decks you're managing. Yeah. So like Sylveon, it can become a bit of a table hog. You can discard into their own discard piles two matching equipment symbols, so two stars, for example. Mm. That will then give you uh, a one-off thing that you can do to manipulate the decks. Yeah. And that's it. That, that's the game. Okay. Uh, it's sounding so far as if it's going to reward a certain amount of card counting, but maybe not a huge amount. So, the decks themselves are, to an extent, open information. Mm-hmm. It says in the in the rules that you know the contents of the decks, which to me suggests it's open information. Yeah. They also suggest you can lay out the discard piles to show what you've discarded. Mm-hmm. Um. In the rules, they suggest the decks are face down and you turn over the top card. I don't really understand the point of that since it's open information anyway. I just play with the decks upside down, effectively, with showing me the top card. Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of Eon's End, where, according to the rules, you can look through anything you like except uh, your draw pile. Right. Even though you know, you theoretically know the order in which things mm. went into the draw pile because you didn't shuffle the discard pile yeah. when you made it into it. And the, the designer has pointed out that it doesn't actually break the game if you look at that. It just slows it down. Yeah, and I guess this is similar. The, as I say, you, you could car count, you could just check. Albeit, each deck is only of eight cards, so checking it isn't going to take a lot of time, especially once you start discarding and a deck consists of one card. Yeah. Um, the decks themselves, I said there are eight symbols in the game. Each deck is themed along those eight symbols. Mm-hmm. So... Just take, say, for example, um, one deck will be one of the four galaxies. Every card in that deck will be that galaxy. Yeah. And then there will be two of each of the equipment to go with it. Okay, makes sense. Or for the equipment side, you know, every card in that deck will be a ship or whatever it is. And then there will be two corresponding galaxies for that ship in that deck. Okay, so, so you've got some idea of where things are going to show up. Separately yeah. From, so even yeah. at the st- so it is completely inf- open information, in, and at a glance, even if you haven't been counting cards, you've got a rough idea where things are going to be. You know that 
the four of those um four of those decks are always going to be those four galaxies and four of the decks are always going to be those four pieces of equipment it's just the combination with the other bits of information on the card that makes the difference right it does feel very puzzly in nature when you're doing it yeah the, the feeling i'm getting is all right so how do i assemble this set of things or that set of things or yeah yeah and to a certain extent i think whether it's solvable i don't know I think I improved with each game that I played with it as I started to think, oh, okay, I need to sort of start planning ahead here and take advantage of when things are up in certain opportunities. Mm. Um, One of the the combinations of equipment you can play, I think, I'm not even going to say which symbol it is. It doesn't (laughs) matter and I'll only get it wrong. Um, But they allow you to play one of your cards from the, the observation deck is what they call those eight decks of cards. Mm into an outpost. So that then gives you nine face-up cards that you can use. And you can draw it back later, presumably. You can't draw it back, but you can use it at any point. Right, yeah. Through either its equipment or its galaxy. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to have a duplicate card in the outpost, but you can have multiple cards from the same galaxy. Yeah. Make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, effectively... on the one hand, you've got the, you're saying eight different things, but on the other hand, it, it's an orthogonal uh, galaxies up one side, suits along the bottom, uh, items along the bottom, and you've got sixteen combinations. Yeah. Um. So yeah, part part of the the secret success is making use of that outpost as best you can, um, and then other abilities are you know shuffling cards from the discard pile back into the deck or moving one to the top of the deck and mm. you know, sort of manipulating the decks in that way which is you know, why they describe it as a deck management game um, option so unusually for an Onyverse game they don't do an introduction game mm-hmm. um, a lot of people I know complain about the introductory rules as not being the real game so whether they've decided to get rid of that for that reason I don't know um, they launch you in the rulebook straight into the base game which I'm fine with what they do, the game comes with six shooting stars tokens. Okay. It suggests in your first game, if you haven't played it before, you can start with one shooting star token. Um, and you can use that as a wild for any card once during the game. Mm-hmm. So from there on out, you can decrease the difficulty by adding more shooting stars if you wish. Yeah. Or increase it by playing without any. Sure. Um, I think it took me five games to win the first time. And I've just stuck doggedly with the one token. Mm-hmm. Um, it does come with four expansions in the box. <laughs> uh, three of these, and that's without the, the pawn, which again mixes things up. It comes with another one of these pawns. It mixes things up in the way that the pawns always do yeah three of these expansions are more sets of eight cards so you've got black holes um and you've got mirrors which yeah are exactly what they say they are mm-hmm. um the mirrors expansion also cut, uh, puts an added wrinkle that you've got to explore the the galaxies in a certain order okay so it's kind of giving you an extra an extra boost that you can mirror one of your cards and make it a little bit easier in that way. But on the other hand, it's making it more difficult. You can't just take advantage of the order that the cards come up in. Right. Um, I told a small lie when I said that three of the car- three of the expansions are more cards. Only two of them are. Third one I thought was cards. I forgot it isn't. Is tokens. Mm-hmm. Um, and that re- lends a... Thematically, it lends a research phase to the uh, theme to the game yeah um so you can uh you you have um theories you have to prove once you've proven a theory then that will give you an ongoing boost to one of your uh equipment actions that you can take yeah okay the final expansion and i'm sure your heart will sing at this is a board (laughs) it's an actual honest to goodness fold-out game board of quite good quality um, showing the the galaxies and the routes that you're exploring them on. 
how does this affect gameplay? <laughs> I confess I haven't played this one yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you play it with the pawn um, and four meteor tokens. Um, and yeah, I've, as I say, I haven't played it yet. Yeah. Um, Presumably restricts some things about what you can do in what order or something of that nature. And and as yeah, there, there's um, a movement path on the board. So I think you know that you're trying to catch the the sun or reach the sun, which is the the pawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, not not what one would call a hard science fiction sort of space theme. Possibly not. No, I mean you know the only verse is meant to be dreamlike. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Yeah. To, to me, this falls too far on the the space science side to be truly dreamlike but then that's me that has no interest in space in the first place sure um as usual with these games you know fantastic production even though they're now being self-published it's, it looks exactly like the old z-man editions mm-hmm. um and it's still phenomenally cheap for the production values as well oh excellent it's uh, it was 22 pounds it cost me yeah I mean, and, a lot of the time small small scale production ends up being expensive but well exactly um and some people will be very pleased to hear it came with a, a teaser as well. <laughs> I I don't know how well you followed Onyverse. We may have mentioned this previously, but at some point many years ago, Shady Torby, I think it was when Castellion had just come out. Yeah. Um, he said that it was projected to be a series of six games. Okay. At that point, if you counted Erbion, there were four. Erbion, which was also released as Equilibrion at one point. Mm. Erbion has, to this point, never been re-released. And there was some debate as to whether or not it counted as the sixth game. <laughs> Stellarion is the sixth game. Mm-hmm. It came with a lovely little leaflet in the box with all six of the Oniverse games, plus three more, including Erbion. <laughs> so we're up to nine now. <laughs> Uh, values of six that are approximately nine, or maybe more. We'll <laughs> see. <laughs> so yes, we, we we can reveal the future games of the series: are Siberian, Erbion, and Ult- Ultimion. Okay, I, I can tell you nothing about them. <laughs> there will be but a pawn. The, the, yeah, but the series continues. Excellent. Um, None of these is a game that I love enough to want to own it and play it long term. But they they are all ones. Well, the the, the three I have played, I have all in, I've enjoyed playing all of them. So, I think yeah, that's that's the the, the thing about them for me. I mean, um, the, the base game of uh, of Stellarion without mixing in any of the expansions. Once you know what you're doing, takes fifteen twenty minutes. It's not a long game. Mm-hmm. Um, Set up not too bad. No, not really. Um, you know, not if you. You never mix those eight decks together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you set up, you can just deal with them straight out into this eight separate piles and, right. and you're away. Um, and I think, you know, if you play a lot of solo games, the production values on these are very good. Mm-hmm. They're inexpensive. They don't take up a lot of space. So they have a role, I think, either as just a, a small game you can keep on your shelf and play every now and then. Or something that, you know, maybe like Sylveon, it takes a bit longer to play. Um, it takes a bit more table space. but And you can play it out. But you can still get good value from it for those dozen plays it takes until you figure it out and think, no, I've seen what, what I can from this. Sure. And then, you know, th- this is, after all, an honest board game, not anything with, you know, legacy or app or anything like that. So you can, you can always sell it on. Exactly, exactly. And, I mean, you know, all of these, Onivim, Sylveon, Castellion, people are still exploring these games for, you know, they're still coming to them for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they, they do hold their value. So that's Stellarion by Shady Torby. Uh, the last one from me is not, again, not sellable, but you, ha- you have played it uh, because it is Scout. Also, I have played it. Originally known as Circus. And, yeah, there, there is theoretically a theme, but this is... <laughs> you, you, let's face it, you, you, knowing the theme makes no difference to the gameplay. And it, it, it's just... 
it's an abstract game, really. It's it's completely. I, t- I mean, I, I I should confess that we played it at the, about about ten o'clock at night. Mm, yeah. After we'd been playing games since ten in the morning, um, I'd arrived pretty tired that day anyway, and had already played a lot of splotter games. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was exhausted when I played this game, so may, maybe that colours my feelings about it a bit. But yes, it certainly was completely abstract. Uh, I, I have played um, the previous weekend. I played a few games of it as well, in a slightly mm. less tired state. Though I still managed to forget a key rule when we were playing. So <laughs> anyway, um, you've got cards with numbers one to ten. I think uh, each card has two numbers, top and bottom. Mm-hmm. And it is a climbing game. I've finally worked out what this term means. Which oh, please do explain. Basically, a, a player puts down a thing, and the next player in, in in the turn order has to put down a better thing, or pay a penalty of some sort. Right. That that seems to be climbing game in miniature. Okay. Thank you. Um, and in this case, you could have a sequence of two or three or four cards, two, three, four, five, six, seven, whatever. Or you could have pairs or triples and duplicates of a number are better than a run of the, of the same size mm-hmm. and higher is better than lower. One thing that's a, sort of slightly surprised me during the game is finding out that a run could be just two cards. I think that's relatively unusual. Mm. Yeah, a uh, I don't know a lot of traditional card games, but I often feel that three tends to be the basis for this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but the, the penalty in this case is if you cannot beat the thing, then you take one of the cards from it to add to your hand, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the player who put it down gets a point for having had a thing that you couldn't yeah. beat. And in my tired state, this scoring mechanism is what confused me the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know why I think I just found it very confusing the fact that sometimes I would do do something and I would do a player the, the player, player to my right I would have to give cards to sometimes they would just take a card from the pile Some, I, it was very confusing <laughs> I'm still trying to remember back now I still can't work out what was going on I, I think a, a lot of that was end of the day um, yeah I'm sure it was the the thing that I haven't mentioned so far is that you don't get to rearrange your hand and you can only play a series of cards if that series of cards is adjacent in your hand. Yeah. Um, therefore... Unlike some other card games of that ilk, though, when you pick up a card, you can choose where in your hand it goes. Hmm. So, yeah, that... The, Although obviously, when you when you pick up a card, it's a penalty because you're trying to be the first to flush your hand and empty it. Mm. Um, it does mean you can arrange to do something useful with it. And I found, as I worked out what was going on, I think an hour. Do we play three games of it? Uh, it's, it's usually one round per player, and we were five at that point. Right. Okay. I think about so. So after after a couple of games, I, I started to feel like actually the best thing to do was to try and build up a really long run. Mm. Um, because that way, you, especially if you could time that and place it after somebody else that thought they just placed a really good run of their own of sort of three, four cards, if you could then play four or five cards and immediately deprive them of points. Yeah. And at that point... At the you, same time you... as jettisoning a large amount of your hand. And you get a point... Um, per card in their hand, in in, yeah. the, in their in their play rather. I, I found that to be quite a useful strategy at that point. Mm. Once I worked it out, so it wasn't just a case of trying to get rid of cards from your hand as quickly as possible. Yeah, because what, while that is, it triggers the end of the round and it's advantageous in ending the game in in, in winning rather because. You have a penalty of the number of cards left in your mm. hand when somebody does does that. Um, it's not guaranteed. It, it, it's not the sole winning condition, no. and you're, you're building up points over the multiple rounds of the game. To some extent, it reminded me of um, our family has always played a lot of wild card rummy, mm-hmm. and there's a similar thing in that where 
yes, you, you know, if you, if you can get out quick and catch everybody else, so they end up with negative scores in their hands, that's great. But sometimes you want to push your luck. You want to sit there with an enormous hand of cards to just rack up a huge score. Yeah, particularly if you're near to a huge run and you, you just need one more card yeah. to complete it that you may be able to pick up from somebody else's. Yeah, so it's got that sort of push your luck element to it of um, if I just wait one more round, the card I need is going to come round. Yeah. There is, I mean, it, it's obviously somewhat sensitive to initial conditions. Um, you can have something that's nearly playable on its own. Mm. Um, particularly since you, when, when you get your hand at the start of the game, uh, you get to choose which way up it is. So you, you've got the hand that's dealt to you in order, but you have two options for what that's going to be. Uh, they explain this... that the cards uh, value one way in one orientation and different value the other way up. Yeah, and these are not just not not just pairs like nine and one or eight and two or whatever they are. They mm. are different ones for different cards. And when you pick up a card, you simply have a choice of two values. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so it's a bit subject to luck in that regard, though. Not, not I think excessively. Um, I, I, I like a certain amount of luck because I can then blame it for um, why I didn't do well. I, I think it's completely acceptable in a game that isn't particularly long or onerous. Mm. And it, it, uh, it's one of the few games that I could picture being played by non-gamers in a pub, for example. Yeah, I think yeah. I as I say, I already made the the the, um, the comparison with Wildcard Rummy that we played a lot as a family, um, mm. and I, I think that's a, a, a valid comparison that people that have grown up with those sort of traditional card games could easily play these kind of games. Yeah. Um. I don't know enough of them to say if it's based on a particular traditional card game. It wouldn't surprise me if it were, but it but it does need it. I, you could probably work something else, something out with an actual normal deck of cards, but having the two values is a fairly important part of it. Gaffer tape. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, Scout. Uh, three to five players. Uh, you can play it with two, but it's not very good. Because the other thing is that we we didn't see this in our games. But if a something you put down goes all the way around the table and nobody can beat it, that also ends the round. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's going to be happening a lot in a two-player game. Yeah, and far less frequency in a in a larger game. Um, which I think it probably again affects the strategies I was talking about. If trying to hold on and push for a a big run or a big set is going to be more difficult if the rounds are shorter. Mm. So it's designed by Keiko Jino, came out in 2019 in Japan. Uh, it's recently, I've, I've lost track of the exact publishing order, but it certainly <laughs> recently got an Oik Games multilingual edition. Mm. And that's the one that seems to be generally available, at least here in the UK. Uh, again, Shut Up and Sit Down did a review not too long ago, and so it's probably going to be hard to find for a bit, but it seems to be in stock in a few places. I think Oik Games, they're, um, they don't often hold things in in publication for a long time, do they? Um, it often seems whenever there's one that I think, oh, I wouldn't mind picking up a copy of that, and I just can't find it anywhere. Okay, I may just have been lucky. Um, to be fair, when, when I've bought games from them, it's generally been at their standard UK Games Expo, mm-hmm. so they probably have more stock there than would be in J Random local games shop. Um, it's certainly one I am planning to buy. And doesn't, at least at the moment, it seems to be slight, well, it's not so much that it's hard to find, but it's hard to find cheap, because you, you look at it and it's basically, what, 50 odd cards. Okay, yeah. they're custom printed, but they're still 50 odd cards and some scoring tokens. Mm-hmm. And it feels a little painful to pay 20 quid for that, but yeah, that's, that's the, that's the way things are these days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I wouldn't begrudge that too much. Um, I mean, you know, you compare it to the Universe games, but I already said I don't understand how they're producing them at the, or how they're selling them at the price they are. Demon labour. <laughs> <laughs> so you let me fungi or morels, but the one you actually physical copies, it says fungi on it. It does. And I've got a few games of this in with my standard reference novice gamer. I imagine they got on all right with it, but tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, um, picked it up quickly. Uh, there, there were, 
some things that I felt would be done differently if it were be, being put together from scratch now. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, this, this is the Pegasus Spiel edition that's the currently available one. Uh, yep. And there was the fiddliness of these cards are play at once, the baskets. Yeah. And you have to remember, there's no particular visual distinction that says this is a card you play at once. Yeah. You just have to yeah. remember that that is the thing you do. Uh, whereas those cards have to wait and then your hand limit is eight plus two times the number of baskets. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to remember that when, when the decay pile gets to five, you trash the four that were under it and, and so on. Th- things like that. And yeah. n- none of this is a, is a terrible thing. But it, it's all little bits of fiddle that you have to remember rather than something that flows intrinsically yeah. from a core rule. Yeah, I guess um, if you know when you're talking about playing it with uh, with novice gamers, it's um, something that's perhaps on you as the experienced gamer to to remember. Yeah, um, part part of the problem, of course, is because these are hands. Um, I I can say, okay, that's a basket you've picked up. Um, you should, you should now put that down. It does not cost you an action to play it. Mm. But if I didn't happen to notice it being picked up because I was looking at something else, yeah, yeah. Um, did did I understand you correctly that the first edition had the sticks as actual as actual physical sticks rather than cards? I believe so. Yes. Because that yeah, th- this is another game I'm planning to buy, but that is definitely something I will do. <laughs> whether, whether that's a matter of whittling them or. 3D printing them or something, I don't know, but but I want the sticks to be sticks rather than cards because it, it, yeah, it's just I, I too fiddly. I believe the first edition was self-published and the the sticks were hand whittled or something by the <laughs> by the designer. Yeah. Um. And really, the the only problem I have with it is that it it clearly rewards a certain amount of card counting. Is it is it worth going for these? Do I remember how many of these have already gone? But while they're getting yeah. towards the end of the game, I mean, it does its best to help. It, there, at the top of each card, it, there there is a number that says how many of them there are mm-hmm. overall in the system. So yeah, so I think if, as you're getting towards the end of the game, if you can see that there are five copies of it in the game, and already your opponents put out three, or you don't have any in your hand, then the chances are it's not worth picking up. Sure, and. Yeah, I, I say this from from the point of view of someone who is very bad at card counting and generally dislikes games that reward one for doing it. But I'm still enjoying this game. It, it, it's not putting that pressure on me that I feel mm-hmm. with with a lot of games of that sort. So, yeah, well well done, uh, Brent Brent Povis Brompovi. Uh, I think he's yeah. I think he's US. I don't know. I, I thought he was French, but I might be wrong. In any but, case, uh, one of the two, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, we'll so, pronounce his name in a few other ways, and uh, we'll, we'll get it right. We'll just edit it out. So, yeah, it, it's it's nice that it's not. And they're they're obviously the standard uh, drafting game of there is conflict because you take the card that I want, mm. but it's not a direct conflict, which is relatively rare in my experience of two player games. Yeah, it's 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 a very gentle. Sort of, I mean, I would describe it as a couples game rather than a two-player game, if that makes sense. Mm. You, there isn't that aggression, the sort of the rooted in chess and war games approach to two-player games. No, same, same sort of feeling I got uh, with Pete Mutz that we talked about a little while ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, this is definitely going on the buy list. As as always, it helps that it's in a small box. Absolutely, because yeah. I actually have room for about two more small box games in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Running out of space, then. <laughs> yes. Um, ironically enough, the small boxes live in mushroom crates. You said last time, yeah. Um, but yeah, so a, a few bits of fiddle. If I were producing a new edition, I would change some of the visual design, but really not very much. I mean, how much of that visual design carries through to other editions? I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I haven't seen the first the, edition, so. Yeah, I mean, you said that was the Pegasus Spieler edition I've got, which I've had now for, I don't know, six years or something? I think that is the one that is still out there. Right, okay. Um, there have been other editions from other publishers since, mm-hmm. and I know the original edition of Burrells at least had different artwork, so whether the graphic design followed, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it, it would be just a little thing like a, a, a tag around the frame of the card in a different mm-hmm. colour just to remind. Yeah, this is possibly me being picky. 
I, I'm not a graphic designer. I just have a nasty feeling when it's done wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as far as the graphic designer is concerned, I'm that annoying guy who says, this is wrong, but I can't tell you why. Classic armchair critic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, I played I it one, once before several years ago, uh, mm. but that, that was late in the evening to convention. I'm not sure I fully understood it. Now, now I'm getting a better idea. Yeah. This is definitely going, going in the uh, collection. Yeah, it's just a, it's a straightforward, gentle set collection game that works because of its straightforwardness. Mm. And the theme is not not I Again, think gentle. In, yeah, but not an, not an entirely. I mean, it doesn't make perfect sense. You know, you, you're 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 on your ramble through the woods and you're going to get to the end of them and that's the end of the game. But you can just step aside and, and discard mushrooms for sticks somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you if, if a path isn't dire- or if a mushroom isn't directly on the path, you can't reach it unless you have a stick. Mm-hmm. And the more sticks you have, presumably again you're gaffer taping them together, then you can reach further. <laughs> oh, I didn't see the gaffer tape card. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that went up. We just assume we have infinite quantities of. thanks very much for joining us this has been more games than time if you want to support us you can find us uh, find our shop i should say on tinyurl.com slash mgtt <laughs> and uh, there's, there'll be a discussion thread associated with this episode on discussion to kelly lee and there'll be a link probably wherever you get this podcast from until next time mm-hmm.